hello and a warm welcome to this, the latest episode of the Wake Up London podcast. This is the Colours of Compassion episode. We have music from Melissa James and from Ha Down. We also have a long conversation with Melissa, which follows the Melissa's track Still, which you heard a little bit of at the beginning of the programme. We also have conversations with three-way conversation between Renika, Kareem and Anne and also sharing from Rahina about Buddhists across traditions and also colours of compassion. We have a reading from Ha about the four mantras and some musical dharma. So to begin this celebration of the BIPOC community within our UK Sangha, we're going to have a song by Melissa James. Those who've been listening to the podcast from the beginning will remember this one from the pilot episode, and I thought I'd play again. When the night is drawing to a close And the morning light in the sky takes hold I see the moon against the blue Rest lightly When the sun is shining clear and bright and the evening sky is a fiery side i like to let the moments glow wash over me Frost takes a bite 
And so to our long conversation for this episode, Melissa James, as a Londoner and a jazz singer, musician and spiritual seeker, Melissa has been a presence in the Sangha for some time now as a singing facilitator um, and also running something called Stronger on Sundays, an independent project which brings in members of her wider circle as well as some Sangha members talking about racial and social justice with music. So we had a wonderful couple of hours together in Brixton a couple of months ago talking about creativity, talking about resistance, talking about racism and projects and practice. Thanks Melissa. through a conversation which we're just going to continue but it, to, to give you some background um, we were talking about Melissa's project Strong on Sundays and I suppose being at the helm of something like that you can describe what it is but your intention with it you're taking a break at the moment yeah um, um, I'm taking a break because um, well one it, I decided it, it changed slightly so um, so Stronger on Sundays has always had music as part of it. Um, but it's changing so that it can almost become a bit more music focused. There'll still be conversation. But it became clear to me that I was in danger, for one of a better word, of, um, of it becoming, it's, it's difficult, isn't it? You know, of it becoming a space that wasn't open to the people who are most affected by racial injustice and was bringing in more people who, you know, white bodied people, I suppose, who, who might be interested in racial injustice but I'm wary of it it's, it's 
difficult becoming a space where you feel like you're just helping one group of people and everybody and also just helping one group in a particular way and maybe serving which for me is the, the danger in inverted commas of you know of serving the the person who wants to perceive that they're doing good, which is a good thing. We all want to be doing good, but um, but I also want to make sure that we're not just doing good; that we're we're, we're also doing right by our, by our hearts. You know, that it's not just the act of doing good to make us feel good. It's it's doing what is actually guided by our hearts and so Stronger on Sundays is a the aim is to make it a heart-led space and a heart-centered space. Mm. I want to ask more about Stronger on Sundays. Mm -hmm. I wanted first to ask about your relationship to the Plum Village community in London mm -hmm. like how you came to it and how you heard about Tinker Pan and yeah. Yeah um, so <laughs> I came to it via my application to be, I'm not sure what, something, to be working part-time doing something, social uh, media. Yes, something. communications wasn't it, I think. Like I remember that, that job was advertised, yeah. 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 Um, which I didn't get, but, um, but Kev, who was yeah, yeah. Um, organising all of that, noticing that I sing, said, oh, I wonder if you could lead some singing workshops. And so I started to become more involved in that way. And again, in a, you know, I kind of, I envy those people like yourself who have had more of a relationship with Thich Nhat Hanh, like you, you've attended his talks, you've been on his retreats. Um, I haven't even been to Plum Village in France, you know. Um, but in some other way, I feel like I have this other connection. I had a strong vision of him before I connected directly with Plum Village. And oh, then I connected me. with him. Yeah. Or I connected with Plum Village and became involved. And then I think I told you recently I had a strong visit from him or a vision from him mm. after he passed, you know. So I, I sort of feel in spirit I've got this and I think we do, you know, I think we do have mm. these opportunities to connect with people in spirit. Um, which I do with my dad all the time. So, um, so yeah, even though I've never had physical contact with him in any way, um, yeah, I, I do feel this connection. Yeah. So yeah, basically it was through, it was through leading the singing groups and then sort of finding talents of compassion and hearts mm. London and um, yeah. What's been your experience of colors of compassion? Um, I haven't been attending as much because um, Tuesdays have been really difficult recently, but I'm still part of the group. Um, but yeah, I like the group. I, um, it's nice to know that there's a space where you do feel that you can be more of yourself amidst people who have similar experiences because they are black or brown mm -hmm. or indigenous. Um, yeah, it's a lovely group to be part of. And Hartford, you know, I really like when I can join Hartford as well, which I've only done online. But um, yeah, I just I like to be able to 
slot in and receive what I feel I can have from it at the times when I can. I can't always do it as regularly as I want to. But, um, but it, it's nice to have that possibility to have that potential of doing that. Yeah. We've, um, we've got to know each other a bit through the Strong on Sundays because I came to a white awareness um, yes. session that you had. And we, I think it was recorded, I'm not sure, earlier in the conversation, but you mentioned something that really touched me about there seemed to be in what you're saying a wish to protect the space, to be a place where people, black and brown bodies, were able to kind of have, share their experience. And it used to, you said that it, the potential was there for lots of interest from people with white bodies to come to that space to maybe in a more kind of cerebral way kind of talk about racial awareness. And I wondered um, if you could speak a bit more about that and what, what that looks like to create that space. Yeah, so just, yeah. I guess to kind of give that a bit more context, it was, I was speaking to a friend of mine actually who herself She's, she's black and she does her own, you know, through as a singer and leading singing workshops. She does a lot of her own sort of you know, racial injustice work through her music. Um, and she's never attended a Stronger on Sunday session and she, in, via a conversation we were just having in passing, she said, yeah, I think that's why I haven't attended Stronger on Sundays because it's just like exhausting, you know. Basically, she was expressing that it's just it's, that why would she attend when you know it's it's tiring to have to discuss. And I I totally get that. Um, and I also understand, as I think I started saying before, that you know you might feel as somebody who's suffering the consequences of racial injustice that you don't need to attend discussions on racial injustice because you're the one experiencing it. So therefore it means that it just then becomes me trying to hold a space for white people mostly and and provide a conversation where white people can learn, white bodies can learn about race, racism and racial injustice. And in essence, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. I don't really want to do that. Um, and also, I think, so my, my concern with doing that, one is that I don't feel that it's, you know, I do, or rather I do feel that even if you are somebody who's, who's black, brown and, and suffering the impacts of racism, it's still relevant to you to understand how it manifests because it's not always obvious in fact it's mostly not obvious mm. it's mostly not in the ways that you expect and the more i become awake to it the more i realize how it's not obvious you just like it, it's it yeah there are so many ways that we don't realize how we're being in, impacted um and the more right. you become awake the Systemic. more you realize yeah, yeah. Mm. you know it's, it's just flowing in the waters, you know, and you're just standing in the water going, but it's just water, it's fine. But but actually, yeah, it's, it manifests in so many insidious ways. So I think we need to look for ways that we can try to undo those things. But also I was wary of creating a space where, 
I think there is a danger that you can, um, I don't like this phrase, but I'm going to use it because I can't think of any other phrase, you know, create just good white people who feel like they're doing the right thing by learning about racial injustice, which is good. Because we want them to be doing that. Yeah. We want everybody to be doing that. But it's, yeah, but it's not enough. And it, it, you know, it has to be coming from a heart space and not just from a place of feeling like I'm doing something to help the poor, disadvantaged people. I don't want so anybody feeling sorry, because yeah. as um, brilliant speaker um, Pat McCabe says, who is an indigenous woman of, of the Americas, you know, you've got to realize what you're losing, what you have lost. You've lost a lot of your heritage in the creation of whiteness. You've, you've lost your own heritage and cultural connections too. So, so if you need to be feeling sorry for anybody, feel also sorry for yourself in what you've lost. But there's not that. The story, the narrative is mostly that we've got to be allies to the poor people who are the ones that are suffering at the hands of racism, directly at the hands of racism. And that's, for me, that's so, there's so many problems with that. Yeah. So many issues with that. So, I then started to think, well, what do I, how do I change it? And it just seems really clear to me that music has to be integral, even more so than it was. Because if I'm inviting artists into the space that um, people look at the advertising and they say, well, wow, that person's playing on Sundays, Stronger on Sundays. I really like their music or I, I really like what they're about. I'd like to come into this. Then it's a way of enticing people. And it's not to fool anybody, but it's, um, it's just another way of trying to help people to be part of that space and that conversation. And by example, the first session of Stronger on Sundays that I did in January last year had a um, brilliant musician on, Roland Sutherland, who's a flautist. Um, uh, yeah, um, who's of um, West Indian heritage. And um, somebody later on, a woman who I knew, who attended the session that you were on, you were guesting on, um, who is white. And I was really surprised to see her there. And I thought, oh, it's great that she's attending, you know, that she's been part of this conversation, which was themed being white awake. And I emailed her afterwards and I said, oh, thank you for coming. And she said, oh, actually, I didn't realize that it was going to be I, you know, the she, reason to basically, more of a concept or, yeah, yeah, yeah. She said, mm. I attended because I know Roland and I came to listen to his music, mm. which is almost like a slap because it's like, oh, I didn't care about learning about how to be more awake as a white person, I just came for the music. Yeah. I guess she went on to say that it was interesting, and did she? No, actually, no. now you ask, no, right? Interesting. I, I, I yeah. don't think she wanted to be there. She, I, and looking at the video, I can see that she, you know, mm, yeah, she yeah, felt yeah. a bit uncomfortable, okay. mm. to be honest. Mm. And she probably is a person who thinks, well, I don't need to be at this conversation, you know. I like Roland, he's a black man, I'm white, why do I need to be part of right, this conversation? Right. So you've either got maybe that type of person, and then you've got maybe another type of person who might be like, yes, but I do want to do as much as I can to be a good white person and to attend and to understand what yeah. I can. Um, and actually what I want is for people who feel drawn to the music 
to come and then to I mean I can't you know in the end I can't control anything and it's not about trying to control how people what people go away with what they take away but I think if if my intention is clear that I'm creating a space where we do have these conversations in a different way um, honest conversations we're not just talking about diversity I'm not talking about percentages I'm not talking about how we employ more more black people and brown people you know those things might be important but they're, they're not where the real change is at, I don't think. Mm. We each have to realise within ourselves how racism is affecting each of us, you know. And for me, as what I consider to be quite an aware and becoming more awake black woman, I am more and more realising the impact that racism has on me. The impact is just, it's huge, you know. So, to invite people into a space where they can be drawn to the music, have their hearts opened by the music, to the extent that their heart is open enough that they're then more prepared to hear these really uncomfortable truths. And maybe somebody will go away and think, that was rubbish, I, I shouldn't have been part of that, and I can't control that if that happens. But maybe one or two people will go away and say, well, I felt something I didn't expect to feel. And they might not even be able to put it into words, logically, we can't explain it, but something has moved inside of them and has helped them to feel something, because that is the power that music has. Music, I realise that it, it's the music, but it's also the artists, so calling into the space the artists who, for me, will be able to bring to the space what I'm hoping to create. No, I think that's really important. And that's where the power's at. That's where music has its power. But sometimes when you just get lost in the actual conversation itself, which is important, but if you just do that, then you forget about the, the consciousness shift. And I think that's where music comes into play. Music helps to shift our... shift consciousness. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, so that's what I'm wanting to create. But it's on pause while I um, look to establish it more fully as a company. I realize I have to do yeah, that yeah. so that I can hopefully get funding yeah. and then pay those musicians that, yeah. you know, so that I'm not just saying, can you come and do me a favor? Yeah, sure. yeah. <laughs> um, so that hopefully I can, I can pay myself in running them and also pay the, the mm. guests and the artists who come to participate. And there are some powerful conversations that I've got lined up that I want to be able to have. But, um, yeah, I have to just sort out all that admin stuff in the background. Yeah, sure. So, yeah. And they'll always, they'll always be um, recorded and published. That's the idea, isn't it, I suppose? Definitely. Yeah, yeah. And in time, I mean, hopefully, I've been in discussion with a, a music organisation that is interested, certainly at the moment, expressing interest in supporting it. And if they do, not only will that mean that I can pay myself and pay the musicians and artists and guests, but it also means that it adds weight to it in terms of promoting it and maybe organising physical sessions. Because I did a physical session in September last year. It was only short, but it showed me this can work. We can take it into physical spaces, into festivals, into yeah. venues, into, I mean, yeah, just the potential for it yeah. is huge. But I need to have the money. And um, mm. and so if they do support it, it would be amazing. Mm. 
So I'm excited about that too. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much, Melissa, for your time there. If you would like to hear more from Melissa and to consider that subject of racism more, you can do so with Melissa every Monday evening this month at Plum Village UK forward slash events. Melissa is running um, a project called Reflect in Song for Plum Village UK. That's from 7 to 7.30. Some more sharings now from members of the Colours of Compassion community. We hear first from Renika, from Anne and from Kareem about the formation of the Colours of Compassion and their experience of why the space is important to them. We then go on to hear from Rahina, also about Colours of Compassion and about Buddhists Across Traditions, an organisation that looks at racial justice and healing running events that support fundraisers and awareness raising around topics in the news and ongoingly bringing in dharma teachers from different buddhist traditions to have talks and workshops online you can find more out about buddhists across traditions at buddhistsacrosstraditions.org Recording is happening on Sunday, the 4th of September, 2022. We are on the Colors of Compassion Zoom Room Meditation Hall in International Hamlet. (laughs) Um, This is Kareem, An, and Renuka, and we're here to reflect on Colors of Compassion, our community for people of color, and yeah, we're just going to begin. I just want to tell you a story that this was a vision of mine. It was a vision when I first went, when I went on the first retreat that um, practices that I was benefiting from on that retreat was just transformational in itself, that I could see different perspectives of the world than what I was familiar with. When I practiced in Thai's um, tradition, just the simple walking, eating, breathing, sharing, um, I noticed how much joy I had in myself. And I think in one of those meditation, the insight was, well, what, well, this should be available to everyone, right? <laughs> and so that I set that as my vision, really, like this should be available to everyone. And the more and more I got into Sangha world, um, Buddhist world, I realized that actually there was a whole heap of um, people that were benefiting from it, but there's a whole heap of people that weren't. There was not many people visible that I could see in sanghas, um, particularly um, as an expectation in the city of London to, to be more diverse. And um, considering the teacher is from a BIPOC, um, background I was I was quite you know shocked and surprised so some of the barriers for me um, to really take the Sangha in as my home um, was because there was a lack of that community and I wasn't able to bring all of myself in those communities so I think it was a personal journey to uh, go about thinking about 
having a community just for people of colour, black, uh, BIPOC community. Friends of mine suggested that we should we should approach Kyra Jewell, approach Dean Donalds, who's also uh, part of the UK Sangha. He's now a Dharmacharya and the only Dharma teacher of colour in the UK. A lot of, um, lot of Sangha building in those times. We organised um, our very first Colours for Compassion retreat in 2015 and it got filled out. The venue got filled out in 2000 and we had people on the waiting list and then we had it again the following year um, and then we had it we had a year's break and then we had it again um, and the last one was in 2018 but it then transformed the retreats into a weekly um, online um, sangha uh, which expanded it to lots more people being able to attend so I'd like to talk to you about the benefits of meeting as Colours of Compassion Sangha and how rich that's been. Because um, we're not just one group, we're not like kind of one diverse group, we're, we're a multitude of groups from various different backgrounds. So we bring so much rich culture and beliefs and languages and food and colour and... Um, wisdom and so we're able to kind of really share those wisdoms but also there's a there's a non-verbal understanding that we get each other we really understand each other there's no needs for questioning each other why you bring this in what what's this what's that which what we often get usually outside of the sanghas that um, people are curious about us but although we're curious about each other at colors of compassion we we we're more ex we we have this acceptance of of course of course that's in your culture and of course you need to have space to um, bring that out and it feels that that we create that space for that to happen so people can recite poems can share stories of their early childhood um, can converse in their own language and there's there's really just total acceptance of it all. So when we've been in person, we've been able to have um, culture shares, um, which could range from, you know, an Irish folklore because somebody bought, you know, somebody was born um, in Ireland from a um, African background, but was, um, but also had Irish in them, to maybe reciting or saying something from the Bhagavad Gita. You know, we would have lots of ranges of different. Um, poetry and um, you know, um, stories, fables and uh, and they were being honoured, they were really being respected and honoured and it was given space to be aired and and for some of us I don't think we ever had that opportunity ever if particularly in schools because there were there were not there were not the right environments for that, um, maybe not even at home. Um, so it was unique in that sense. It was a gift for all of us and, and for us to grow and develop and bring all ourselves into the room in those spaces. I'm based in Berlin, Germany, and I am so grateful that I 
um, I've been that I'm able to join the Karaba Compassion Sangha, uh, even though it's just an online international sangha now. But um, I'm so I'm so grateful to be able to join and to be part of the sangha, and to have a weekly practice together. And um, what nourishes me most, being part of Cuddles of Compassion, is to be in to practice and to be in a space, even though it's it's just a virtual, an online space, but to be in a space with other BIPOC practitioners, so that I don't get you know difficult questions for me, or that I don't get really insulting comments like. Uh, I would often be asked, um, you know, where did you come from originally and how come you speak so fluent English or German or whatsoever? Or people would try to ask me questions about the country, the culture that I'm supposed to be from, like Vietnam or whatever. And that is like this this inter this inter being interrogated, interrogated, being asked people being over curious about me, my heritage, whatever. It's very annoying. It's very some at times very insulting and it's very exhausting. And that is something that I I was I was looking for a sangha where I don't have to experience these exhausting things over and over again. And to be in kind of a compassion, there is a, a certain um safety, I would say. I wouldn't say it's 100% safe. So I think there's no place that it's 100% safe, but kind of some compassion Sangha is for me quite safe in that sense. You know, no, no races, no, you know, comments, questions whatsoever. And um, yeah, so that's the thing. That's this, this safety, the sense of safety. Yeah, it's been a very rich, transformative journey from 2015 up to every retreat we've we've done, all three retreats up to, you know, the sort of the the friend the friendships that have stayed from that and and sprung from that. I think mainly, you know, the this kind of deeper experience of belonging that's that's possible, which often is very difficult to put to words. I think the much deeper experience of belonging that that we can touch i think i realized after you know my first few retreats or whatever that you know every sangha has a culture every practice space has a culture every every practice environment has its own culture and although we practice underneath the wider palm village culture which is a very strong and rich culture we find that with the practitioners we're with certain cultures are formed as a, as a group as a collective and in a BIPOC Sangha and Colors of Compassion, that that sort of experience of culture is one that's very different. And there's something about bringing our whole cultural selves to that space, to the cushion, a little bit more. Um, and I guess sort of forming a bit deeper connection with, you know, my cultural identity, with my cultural self that I never experienced was possible. I realized I was bypassing actually my cultural self, you know, straight to the Dharma or whatever, you know, I was just bypassing being Arabic, what being Arabic meant, or just all these different nuances, you know, ancestral connection, being able to reclaim, to celebrate, to um, 
you know, heal that relationship and just, yeah, be able to actually integrate the Dharma in Buddhist practice with, um, you know, that reality of being, being from Arabic heritage, my experience of being in the UK. Um, and I think actually, I, I really feel like what it's meant is just really a lot of empowerment, a lot of confidence in myself, a sense of just more of me included that I carry with me into my life, becoming my full self, my, my practice, my cultural self, bringing all those pieces together, who I am. Um, a big part of that is Colors of Compassion, sort of enabling that, keeping that growing, keeping that connection, deepening. Um, and yeah, there's just so much that words also can't express. Sambonani, Namaste, Assalamu Alaikum, Alam, Hello. My name is Rahina, and I've been asked to share a little bit about what Colors of Compassion means to me. I'd like to start by saying that I practice with a number of Sanghas that focus on BIPOC global majority BAME practitioners. Colors of Compassion is one of them. So I'm going to share a little bit of what being in these spaces that are global majority housed means to me. Firstly, from a Sangha perspective, a Sangha is a place of refuge, a place that offers healing and transformation and also spiritual friendship. For myself, with the trauma that I've come from, uh, straddling multiple heritages um, and growing up in a very divided country like South Africa, the place of refuge in a BIPOC global majority Sangha offers me an opportunity to focus, shine a light on the pain, the activation and the trauma that has resulted from racism and social inequality. It's a place where I can heal with people who have a shared understanding of what that pain might mean and the ability to connect and look deeply into some areas of that pain towards transformation, towards liberation from that suffering and towards offering me an opportunity to truly transform on the path to non-discrimination. This space also offers me um, an ability and a strength and a courage to actually engage with the wider Sangha in a way that doesn't actually cause more trauma for myself and for others around me, so that I act from a place of care, of compassion, of understanding, even those who may be unconsciously or consciously playing out the dialogues, the conversations, the power dynamics of white uh, supremacy culture, racism, or any other elements associated 
relating to that white, what we now call white supremacy culture, uh, which is embodied in the systems that we have around us rather than just in individuals. Um, and that is really, truly, then becomes a place of safety, a place of transformation, and a place of real deep looking, um, unclouded by the energy often that I feel I need to have when I'm in a space that is not BIPOC only, an element where I feel I need to actually protect myself, where I'm actually on guard. And that therefore means that my experience is based on one that is either ready to be activated or acting from a place of activation. Um, the healing space offers me a platform to be able to engage in a wholesome way. Um, and that is really important in my practice and in the journey that I wish to embark on. So sharing a little bit now about Buddhists Across Traditions. Buddhists Across Traditions emerged in 2019 after the murder of George Floyd uh, with the focus of uniting Buddhists across various traditions, both within the Buddhist community, but across the Buddhist communities with other faith and spiritual organizations to unite in the United Kingdom to focus on social injustice. So Lions Raw calls Buddhists across traditions the only BIPOC-centered, platforming BIPOC voices on social injustice in the United Kingdom. But we are a little more than that. Not only are we not a traditional sangha in that it offers uh, practice opportunities to sit together in community, our focus is really spotlighting and highlighting areas of social injustice towards transformation. If we committed to building uh, beloved communities, then we need to start looking deeply as to what is the current situation that we are in, looking deeply to understand the roots of the issues we face so that we can repair, heal and re-ember towards uh, what we would like to see in terms of just, peaceful, loving, compassionate communities around us. What is unique about Buddhists Across Traditions is on the following levels. One, we are BIPOC-centered. Um, that doesn't mean we do not involve uh, folks who are white, because we believe that working together, we can highlight the different areas of injustice that we face. But we are always true to being BIPOC-focused and BIPOC-centered. The second area where we're slightly different from most organizations is we want to create the energy in our engagement of the peace, of the love, of the care, of being able to look in a loving way at some of these um, difficult and uh, activating topics around race and social justice. Thirdly, we focus a lot on linking the diaspora in creating the energy we want to see in the world. So we link the diaspora from the US, from the UK, from Africa and wider, and we harness the energy across various spiritual traditions. Ultimately, if we want to effect change in the world around us, we need to look and effect that change deeply within ourselves as well. So this uh, 
energy that we put into hosting and running these events is built and wants to harness and generate the energy we want to see in the world. So that is uh, the difference between, I guess, something like Colors of Compassion um, and what Buddhist Across Traditions offers. Thank you so much, Anne, Renika, Rahina and Kareem for your sharings there. Now to this week's reading, it comes in the form of spoken word and music from Ha Down, one of the Wake Up London Sangha members for many years, currently residing in Hanoi in Vietnam. And I'll pass over to Ha to talk about the four mantras of true love. Hello dear friends who are listening to the newest episode of Wake Up London podcast. My name is Ha. My first encounter with the Plum Village tradition was a YouTube interview between Oprah Winfrey and our dear Tay Thich in which Tay shared about the four mantras of love. The last mantra, darling, I suffer, please help, arrived at the right moment when I was so lost. I wanted to find a way out, but at the same time, I was so numb and couldn't seek help. I was not so used to asking for help and receiving help. The fourth mantra and that interview helped me to find a way out, to know and to trust that there is help all around and I so deserve help. How could I help other people when I don't receive help myself? I wonder. And yes, I so deserve help. I was really moved by the interview and it brought me to the path. So here is my new recording of the song I wrote this song a few years ago when I first um, joined the retreat in Stour Bridge, UK. It was my first ever retreat in Plum Village tradition and I was really happy that I made the decision to sit up, stand up, ask for help and leads me to where I am today. Um, hope you enjoy the song and sending you all lots of love and sunshine from where I am in Vietnam, Lâm Đồng. Bye for now. Well, thank you very much for listening in and being a part of this celebration of the Colours of Compassion Sangha here in the UK. The Wake Up London podcast is a project that is released about once a month and can already say that by the end of this month there'll be another episode to be in line with the 12 year anniversary of wake up london it's called the beginnings to tune in for that the to find out more about the podcast and also to offer to be a part of it if you've got ideas for future programs you'd like to submit music make a reading or do a sharing then please just get in touch with the program by going to wakeuplondon.org forward slash podcast 
You can also donate there. Any donations go to Wake Up London to fund projects like this and other ones too. Take care now. Bye. And that's why I am here for you